In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Lord, in this time of prayer with you, we can put ourselves into a scene in which you yourself are praying. And these scenes are very instructive for us to see our Lord praying. In these days, we read in the Gospel of Luke, he went out into the hills to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. So our Lord finds time for prayer. In these days he went out into the hills to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And he does so in in a very generous way. He does so in a way that is sacrificial, that costs him something. He loses sleep to pray. He spends the whole night in prayer to God. And Lord, if you need prayer, if you frequently found time for prayer, as we see that you do throughout the gospel, how much more do we need it, Lord? You are true God and true man. You are always beholding the face of your Father in heaven. You're always loved by him with the love which is the Holy Spirit. And yet in your your incarnation, when you take on this human nature, you need prayer. You need times when you're solely focused on your Father, when you're solely focused on on God, on the things of God. And we too need it, Lord, and we too will have to fight for it. We'll have to find time out. We'll have to, at times, go to the hills to pray, to find a lonely place. And we'll have to make sacrifices and be generous in our prayer. And when it was day, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. And so the result of our Lord's prayer is the calling of the disciples to himself. The calling of the disciples to be close to him, and then from them, the choosing of the apostles. Those who were chosen to be, in a special way, our our Lord's collaborators. And we too are the result of our Lord's prayer. Our Lord prayed for all of us during his life, all of his followers from from the time of the early church until the end of time. Our Lord Jesus Christ had me and you in mind when he preached his sermons, when he performed his great miracles, when he suffered and died on the cross in a special way. He knew us. He had you and me very much in mind. And so our Lord, too, calls us to be in his presence, calls us to be his disciples. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read a similar scene. And Jesus went on from there and passed along the Sea of Galilee. And he went up into the hills and sat down there. And great crowds came to him bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the dumb, 
and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the throng wondered when they saw the dumb speaking, the maimed whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Great crowds come to you, Lord, and they bring with them people for you to help, the lame, the maimed, the blind, the dumb, many others. Imagine we're in that we're in that crowd and and we're still at a distance from our Lord. And the crowd is broken up into small groups, groups of people carrying a paralytic or groups of people leading someone who is blind or groups of people bringing their their sick friend to be cured by our Lord, to be healed by our Lord. And we're somewhat far back in the crowd and then regularly, periodically, we hear a cry go up from the front of the crowd where Jesus has just performed another miracle. A miracle. Another miracle. He can walk. He can hear. He can see. And imagine as we're getting closer to our Lord in that crowd with the friend that we're bringing for healing, we see the healed walking walking past us on their way, on their way out, so to speak after their encounter with our Lord. And we see a man who was a paralytic now walking and perhaps even jumping to test to test his legs. And the murmur goes up again from the front of the crowd. Another miracle. He can see. I can see. And another miracle. He can walk. Praise God. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And so out of this crowd, out of this huge crowd, Lord, once again, you call your disciples to yourself. And so we don't just have Jesus in the crowd, we have Jesus in the crowd, but in the crowd are sprinkled Jesus' disciples, those who have made him who have made him their rabbi, their master, those who've changed their whole life in order to follow Jesus. This is what it meant to follow Jesus while he walked this earth. It meant a radical change of life, to become his student, to become a full time disciple of a rabbi, of a master. And in a different way, but in a similar way, our meeting with our Lord has to change our whole life. It has to be something that touches everything I do. I always have to be aware, Lord, of what you want. I always have to be aware, Lord, of what you're telling me. I always have to be aware, Lord, of your presence in my life, where you're leading me. I follow your lead. I am your disciple. I am a Christian. I am your disciple, Lord. What do you want me to learn What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to help? And one of the things our Lord wants us to do as disciples is to be called to himself out of the crowd. Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And so the crowd is hungry because because they've been with our Lord. And they need nourishment because they've been 
they've been generous in coming from a long way off, listening to our Lord, bringing people to be healed by him, bringing themselves perhaps to be healed by him. And we too, Lord, are trying to be with you. We're trying to live our life with you. And we too get hungry. We too get tired. We too need nourishment because we're following you in a world in which at times it's difficult to follow you. We have to go against the green. And Lord, we too need nourishment. And as you look upon that crowd and say, I have compassion on the crowd, so too, Lord, you still look upon our world from heaven, from the Blessed Sacrament, from the eyes of your saints. And you say, I have compassion on the crowd. Our Lord has compassion on the crowd, which is our world, as disturbed and and tormented it is by violence, by division, by ideologies, by disease. Our Lord looks at us and has compassion on the crowd. And what does our Lord do? He shares that compassion with his disciples. He shares that compassion with his followers. I have compassion on the crowd, he tells them, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get bread enough in the desert to feed so great a crowd? And so it's so interesting to see here how our Lord deals with his disciples. He calls them to himself and he just shares with them his concern. He doesn't tell them what to do. He doesn't tell them what he's going to do to solve the problem. He puts the ball in their court. He says, I have compassion on the crowd. And the implicit <laughs> the implicit uh, suggestion is do something about it. Make, make my compassion your compassion. Lord, you look on this world of ours. You look on my friends. You look on my family. You look on my colleagues. You look on me with compassion. And you share that compassion with me. And implicitly you tell me, make it your own. Care about the world. Care about your neighbor. Don't be indifferent to the problems that you see in in your country, in your church, in your family, in your friends, in your colleagues, in your workplace. Don't be indifferent. Have compassion on the people there. Do something about it. And we, like the, like the disciples, many times we say, Lord, what can I do about it? What can I do about these big problems in the world? What can I do about religious indifference? What can I do about moral confusion? What can I do about corruption in, in the government or, or in the church? What can I do about it, Lord? Where are we to get bread enough in the desert to feed so great a crowd? They basically say, what can we, <laughs> what can we do about it? This huge crowd, Lord. There's no vendors out here. Right? There's no McPita to go to the biblical equivalent of McDonald's, right? There's, there's no fast food around. There's nowhere we can order food for such a crowd. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? 
They said seven and a few and a few small fish. And commanding the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. And so the disciples reflect on it for a few seconds, and then they immediately say, what can we do? And we look at our world, and we reflect on it, and we say, what can we do? And then Jesus Jesus basically tells them, give me what you have. How many loaves do you have? What do you have? Seven and a few small fish. And he takes those, and he breaks them, and gives them to the disciples, and the disciples give them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And so he basically says to these, the, the disciples, okay, you won't be able to do this on your own, but do something. In another passage, he says, you give them something to eat. In a similar scene, it might be the exact same. It might be the exact same miracle in a different gospel. You give them something to eat, and he's telling that to us as well. Do what you can with your friendship, with your prayer, with your example. Do what you can for the hunger that you see in the world. Do what you can for the spiritual sickness that you see in your church, in your family, in your workplace, in your friends. Give me what you have. Do what you can, but give it to me. Give the effort to me. And our Lord will take it and he'll give it back to us multiplied. And it will be enough. It will be enough. Lord, help us to have your compassion on this world of ours. And this is this is an image, uh, obviously, of the Christian life, right? That we that we have to hand on what we receive from our Lord. Right? Jesus takes from the from the disciples the loaves and the fish, and then he gives it back to them, and then they give it to the crowd. It's like a chain. Right? He gives it to the disciples, and the disciples give it to the crowd, and they all eat and are satisfied. Saint Paul says this in in relating the the. Um, Last Supper, the first Mass, writing to the Corinthians, he says, I receive from the Lord what I also handed on to you. And this is so important for us in our, in our love for others and our friendships. The best thing that we have to give them, Lord, is what we receive from you. The only thing worth passing on to others, Lord, is what I receive from you. And so I have to make sure that I'm receiving. I have to make sure that in my prayer life, in my sacramental life, in my commitment to try to do the will of God, I'm open to receiving from the Lord what He wants me to pass on to others. In my prayer life, I bring Him the the loaves and the fish, however few they are, I bring him the loaves of the, and the fish of my desires, the loaves and the fish of my attention, of my faith, and then I receive back from him right this mandate, pass this on to others.
and he helps me to be he helps to me me to be more generous, more fruitful. And if we think about it, right, if we think about it, everything we have, everything we are comes from God. And so the only thing we have to give others and even to give ourselves is what we receive from him. St. Paul says this. He says, what do you have that you have not received? And so nature comes from him and, and the sciences come from him and and the goods of the earth come from him and the works of man come from him, right? Businesses and and societies and laws, well, they, they come from him because he created us and he creates us who produce these things with his help, cooperating with his power. There's an old saying in Latin, no one gives what he does not have. Nemo dat quod non abet. No one gives what he does not have. But it's also true that no one possesses what he has not received. And so this is an image of my life, to receive from the Lord what I pass on to others. And the world the world needs it. The world needs doctrine. The world needs the truth of our doctrine. The world needs the love of God. The world needs to know that it's loved by our Lord Jesus Christ and his Father. The world needs accompaniment and, and forgiveness, strength, support. And all that Jesus Christ wants to do through you and through me, his disciples. He calls us to himself and says, I have compassion on the crowd. And he tells us, you give them something to eat. What do you have? Give it to me. And so in this time, it's also, it's so important when we look at the world and realize that we're outmatched, humanly speaking. We look at our own personal situation, perhaps our family situation, and realize we're outmatched, humanly speaking. We don't know where to start. We have to we have to be very supernatural. We have to go to God for help. Go to God for practical ideas on how to give others what he wants us to give them. We have to put our hope in him and not in our own goodness, in our own efforts, not in our own smarts to figure things out. And this is a theme. It's very helpful. It's a theme that's all over, all over the Psalms. This is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And in the church is kind of a tradition of changing this verse around a little bit and saying, my hope comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And there's like a refrain in the church which in which someone will say, our hope is in the Lord. And another person will respond, who made heaven and earth. The power of God. God, the God who made heaven and earth. He's the one who helps me. He's the one in, in whom I place my trust, my hope. And so my hope, if I put my hope in God, if I put my trust in God, it's not misplaced. Okay? It's in the right spot. It's in it's in the it's in the place that it should be in. He will not let your foot be moved, Psalm 121 goes on. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. 
The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So it's a good question, Lord, in my prayer. It's a good question in in my examination of conscience. What, Lord, am I putting my trust in? What, Lord, am I truly counting on? Lord Jesus, do I truly put my trust in you, in God, who made heaven and earth? Is my hope in the Lord who made heaven and earth? And if I lose my peace, if I am too worried about the situation of the world, if it's leading me to an excessive worry or anxiety, if my own personal situation is leading me to an excessive worry or anxiety, this is a sign. It's a sign that we need to work on hope. We need to work on trust. It's an invitation from God to put our trust in Him that somehow we're misplacing our trust. Psalm 146 is helpful in this in this regard, especially, I think, in these times of, at least in this country, in these times of political um, upheaval, political worry. Psalm 146 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no help. When his breath departs, he returns to his earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Right? Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man. Don't look for salvation. Don't look for happiness from anything in this world. Don't look for it from politics. Don't look for it from entertainment. Don't look for it from financial security. Don't make that your foundation. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no help. Happy is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Thy God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Happy is he, in a certain sense, carefree. Happy is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. So, Lord, in these turbulent times, help me to put my trust in you. Lord, be the foundation of of my trust. And we go to Our Lady. Our Lady is often called 
the hope of Christians, our lady, our hope, Holy Mary, our hope. And why is she why is she our hope? Well, because she points us to God. She brings us to God. She sets us firm on on, on that strong foundation of God's care, of God's of God's power. And she does this, she does this uh, herself when um, when the angel Gabriel comes to our lady. She has that question. How can this be since I do not know man? And so she's wondering, right? Well, how can I do God's will by remaining a, a virgin and at the same time fulfill this vocation of being the mother of the Messiah, right? They seem incompatible. And the angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow, or overshadow you. And he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And then after telling her that Elizabeth has conceived in, in her old age, she says, for, uh, Gabriel says, for with God nothing is impossible. And so Gabriel's answer is basically, don't worry, God can do it. Right? You don't think it's possible. You don't think it's, it's possible to be a virgin mother. But don't worry, God can do it. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. His Father will be God. And this is this is um, this is something that we too need to need to do, need to come to. Humanly speaking, we think, how's this situation in our world, in our church, in my family, in in in, in whatever, my community, in my school, in my workplace. Humanly speaking, it seems impossible. How is this going to get better? How is this going to be resolved? Well, if God wants to resolve it, he can. But with God, all things are possible. The Holy Spirit can overshadow us, make things happen that we never, that we never thought could ever be possible. And if he doesn't fix them in the way that we want, well, well he's, he's fixing a bigger problem. He's up to something. He's up to something else more important and St. Augustine has that that wonderful that wonderful comment which I like to repeat and I think it's so helpful he says if God does not give you what you're praying for it's because he's preparing to give you something better does God answer all of our prayers the answer is yes does he answer all of our prayers in the way that we want them answered the answer is no but the great answer is that he's actually giving you something better. But the difficulty there is that his ways are not our ways. And so we might not always see the good that God is bringing about. We might not always see the good that God is up to. Because we might be expecting some worldly good. We might be expecting some immediate peace. We might be expecting some, some tangible progress. Something that we can see, oh, this is good right now. And God might have the long game in mind. He might be helping us to grow in patience, which is so good for our soul. Helping us to grow in trust in God, which is so good for our soul. Helping us to grow in uh, acceptance of God's will, which is so good for our soul. 
And so by not giving us what we asked for, not solving our problems in the immediate and kind of obvious human way that we want them solved, if we keep faith, if we keep trust, if we don't rebel and reject God and turn to false solutions and turn to sin, especially as a kind of shortcut, God brings about great good in our soul by not giving us what what we think is obviously good that we should ask for. Because his ways are not our ways, right? His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so the good that he's bringing about might be something that we can't see right now or something that we can't even appreciate right now. But he's bringing it about because he is our father and he is good and he is all-powerful and he is all-knowing and he is nothing but love. All he can do is love. And so when he lets evil happen in the world, when he lets suffering happen in the world, it's a form of love. Not that he does the evil, but he can bring good about through it. He allows the evil to happen in order to bring about a greater good in his good time, according to his divine plan. Lord, help me to trust you. This is Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus on the cross is trusting his Father's plan, undergoing evil, undergoing suffering that he does not deserve. He's trusting his Father's plan, and a great good comes about, right? The greatest good ever comes about because of it. The redemption of the world, the glorification of our Lord, the founding of the church with all of its saints over this huge history of the church, millennia. And Our Lady kicks the whole thing off. Our Lady is the, is, is the first one who lets this happen, lets God redeem us, lets God into the world. How does she do it? By trust. Right? How am I going to be a virgin mother? I don't know, but God can do it. And so therefore she says, Fiat, be it done unto me according to your word. Let it happen. Let it be. Our Lady, we go to you, our hope. Pray for us. Pray for us that we be more trusting in our Lord, less trusting in ourselves, and that we and that we constantly pass on to others everything that our Lord is giving to us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me. In this meditation, I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.